Welcome to CAA Conversations. My name is Steve Rossi. I'm an assistant professor and sculpture program area head at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, PA. I'm talking today with Jose de Jesus, who is an assistant professor of studio methods in the School of Design Strategies at Parsons the New School in New York. He is also the course coordinator for the first year foundations course, Space and Materiality. Our conversation touches on the interdisciplinary nature of the space materiality course, the benefits of limitations in lesson planning, being presence for students, aspects of embodied learning, and design efficiency found in nature. The conversation is edited so that we jump right into a description of a project Jose developed to work with polyhedron forms and how this approach allows students to discover connections between art making, math, and the natural world. That's such a layered project in which you have like mathematics, you have uh, geometry, you have number, you have um, uh, the cutting, you have the folding. So it's a process that involves a lot of making but it also has this historic uh, uh, precedent that's very strong and very uh, 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 deep, I, I want to say. Um, and as I engaged into developing this project, I learned a lot and I actually became really uh, um, immersed in it mm. myself. And um, it's a project that took me years to develop properly mm. because there is a drawing of the objects in, as, as visual like uh, illustrations of what they are. And then there is the drawing of the templates, which follow their own order and their own, and all these properties of like uh, 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 ratios and uh, like the golden ratio and uh, root triangles, like uh, root two, root three. So there's a lot of, of mathematical uh, um, properties that are built into this project that uh, relate to so many other things. Um, you know, in, in the, uh, not just the, the design world, but also the natural, it's like this geometry comes up from nature. And right, this is a, right. practice, a practice that forces you to use this very basic tools, which is the compass and the triangle. And with those tools, you pretty much build everything on you. Wow. Yeah. So it has taken me to learn a lot of things that were not just technical, but like, um, you know, historical and philosophical and like, so in one project, in this project, there is so many layers, mm. plus being present, yeah. which means that the students engage in this and it's just what I call the zone. It's like my demonstration becomes my method of communicating and, 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 and generating this space yeah. of yeah. the zone where students lose themselves into the process. And what you hear is just, complete silence is something I, you don't even have to call for it. You don't even yeah. have to create. It just naturally comes from, from the experience. Yeah. And it is absolutely beautiful. And I have to say that in my experience, I would say that 90% of the class gets into it mm -hmm. in a way that is just very, very special. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, it's funny because I, I remember students making a comment like, um, this is something that I love that I didn't even know that I like yeah. so much. So uh, uh, it's a nice thing that happens. Yeah. And then there are uh, students that only um, um, feel like they are learning about form and, and, and materials and, and um, in this case, uh, 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 you know, mathematics connected with, with uh, um, uh, 
design and art. Mm -hmm. There are other students that go way far and they get engaged in the philosophy, in the history, mm -hmm. in, you know, so many other levels of, of engagement. And I love the fact that people can go in one way or the other or a mix of those and, and there's no right or wrong. Yeah. And some yeah. students come to me years after and, and, and say, oh, Jose, you don't know how much this experience with the geometry that you practice in class has come back. Yeah. And uh, to me, in some way or the other, and that is priceless to me. You know, to get those kind of uh, uh, that kind of feedback. Yeah, it's and and it's really interesting too. I think about the math classes that I had when I was in high school, and how I was always just bored out of my mind. I had the hardest time with math, and I know a lot of other art students did too. And the way that you're connecting it to so many other sort of fields of inquiry, and connecting it to nature, connecting it, um, connecting math to making. Uh, is is really it's so interesting all the different aspects of sort of mental uh, physical and even kind of that I think there's almost a spiritual component to it as well absolutely and I have had that response from the students it's like you like we uh, engage in these things and we have these conversations but um, you never know how it's going to be received I mean it's like it's like the way that we learn to appreciate art I remember being a, a student and not understanding some things or not being driven to them. And then as I learn, I would start understanding and liking them more than I did before. Um, so I always wonder, it's like to what point our sense of, of what is nice or what is beautiful or what is um, um, right or wrong, it's something that is really affected by um, what we learn and what we experience. But I really like to go back to that place where um, you kind of experience the world as if it was a new. Mm. Um, and that's very hard as, as we grow all, um, mm -hmm. older mm -hmm. and as we get more education because we've yeah. been, we become almost like uh, um, indoctrinated. I hate that word, but like a, for a lack of a better word, um, it's like we are trained to, be, to, to, to think of things in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. um, this is a funny comparison. It's like I had a dog that I loved very much and he passed a few years ago. But I remember that um, as he was sick, I kept spending time with him and I, uh, I would watch him and observe him. And I remember that one thing that um, touched me deeply was to see him every single time that he went outside. And he would look at everything around him mm. like it was the very first time that he mm. had seen it. Interesting. And, yes. And I felt like, wow, um, this is where we should try to go back to. Yeah. To this yeah. Place where, that, where every time that you wake up and every time that you walk out there, you try to look at things like if they were, uh, you've never seen them before. Yeah. And as hard as that is, it is a very important thing to have, especially for the those recreative uh, practices yeah that's a that's a really interesting point and i think something that's that there's something really valuable there um to communicate uh to students in uh, visual art and studio art is a really uh, fabulous medium for that and um and i think about that in my own practice quite often whereas because i'm i'm always working in different materials and different processes and as as sort of an interdisciplinary artist and I look at all of the different tools and materials that I've amassed around my house and around my studio 
to work to facilitate one process or another. And I think quite often as I'm looking for, as I'm sort of trying to switch gears from one material to another and think like, oh, this would be so much easier if I just made paintings or if I just made sculptures out of wood or if I just did this one thing, if I just did video editing, like if I could just kind of get myself focused, right? But that focus is actually like a, a little bit, is is exactly antithetical to what you're talking about right like because you're talking about trying to see things and, and experiment and explore with fresh eyes as opposed to being a master of one particular process or medium exactly i yeah. I, I, I just have learned so much by teaching and to have to plan these lessons and and finding meaning in in things uh, um, i mean i used to be a drawing teacher for many years before I, I was uh, given this, uh, um, uh, became in charge of like the space and materiality. Although my training was as a sculptor and, uh, in architecture first and then a sculptor in fine arts, which is three-dimensional. Um, but I always love to be engaged very deeply with whatever it is that I am teaching so that my experience can inform not just the students, but myself, in terms of like putting myself in their place, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's empathy, kind of, in like how people learn or think, and you know, in spite of the differences, you know, I'm an individual, you, the other the students, but also generational. It's like I mean, I I am very aware of the differences that exist between my generation and students, and how there is like a big gap that needs to be looked at. Uh, very um, seriously to be able to to get halfway and meet and 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 be able to to exchange versus being like this person that is teaching and lecturing and telling students what to do as opposed to kind of like get into their spaces and know and learn how they perceive the world mm -hmm. you always learn something from that and I feel like um, that's why I love teaching because I I, I keep learning um, more ways to, to understand my surroundings through looking at, at it through the student's eyes. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that really stood out to me working at Parsons was the, the uh, because it's such an international cohort of students, there was the possibility uh, when, when, if you developed a project where students would start to draw upon their own cultural backgrounds, it was really this um, extremely international mix of different perspectives that you could kind of get to, to coalesce in the classrooms. Really, really interesting. Absolutely. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how the space materiality class fits into the overall first year curriculum at Parsons? Yes. I want to go back to like how the curriculum has changed over the years. I have been at Parsons since 1997. And I have seen probably like many interpretations or reiterations or like uh, um, you know, reinventions of, of the curriculum and how things shift. We went from being a very like um, studio arts uh, school driven, you know, in, in drawing and, you know, many hours of drawing and, and, and many more hours of making. Uh, and then that became a, a, a change, you know, the priorities became uh, shifted and then they introduced courses like sustainable systems, um, uh, you know, uh, studio, the, uh, 
courses, um, integrative studio um, and seminar. So um, they had to like reshuffle the time that they were get, given to every class. And the studio uh, faculty became a little bit like, um, you know, uncomfortable with those changes because we had less hours, you know, the, the, the courses became kind of like a, a cutoff. And um, for a while, we were kind of like um, not sure what it meant and how that affected and how it was creating a certain kind of like sense that we didn't understand why things were happening. And, and then we went through the process of like um, trying to engage more with the new uh, ways of thinking that we were dealing with. And then it became clear that um, what we were trying to do was uh, to teach the students to make connections not just connections physically within the course, but connections across disciplines and across subjects. And that became a big uh, uh, guiding force. How do you teach skills and practices that will inform other practices? And that really drove us to be uh, more collaborative um, and more uh, cross-disciplinary as, as possible as, as we could. Um, but also to kind of like uh, dig deeper in like, what does it mean to have this studio practices? And then we started kind of like, um, how do you say, uh, uh, deconstructing what we did. And it's like, uh, like, for example, as a drawing teacher, I felt like, well, okay, maybe what's happening is that the computer is actually displacing a lot of these needs because now you have a computer that allows you to you know, uh, create objects three-dimensionally or like uh, use uh, uh, line work, you know, without having to, to deal with like erasing or anything. So I, I felt like, well, the medium has changed and it makes this less important or like we don't need to, to stress so much. But then I went um, full circle with this and I was like, the importance of these practices, of this making material practices, is not just in making a beautiful object or uh, learning how to polish anything or making it just really perfect. But these other things that we just talked about, how do you create a culture of being immersed, of being kind of like really involved and being present because like immersive, uh, uh, slow, uh, 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 how long things take to be made. I mean, students have, pretty much uh, become so, I mean, the, the students that we uh, have mostly have grown up using computers. You know, they probably were using uh, an iPad when they were to toddlers. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I cannot put myself in that place because I didn't, you know, but um, I am, we're the generation that went through from being in that older system to this. So we have a, a much more, um, uh, uh, we have the capacity to raise ourselves and have an, a bird's eye view of this, what was before and what's now. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I have shifted the emphasis is like the, the experience of making these things, mm -hmm. the experience of the material practice and how um, through that material practice, we embody the learning the learning becomes part of not just your mind and your ideas, it becomes part of your body. It's like learning to ride a bicycle. 
Mm. It's like your body knows and learns how to ride a bicycle. And then you can spend years without riding it and then you go back and it's there and yeah. you cannot break it down to say, oh, you know, you do this first. You do. It's like your body knows, your body remembers, your body is, is a kind of knowing and learning that only happens through that um, material practice. Mm -hmm. through, so, through, um, yeah, through doing. Yeah, through making. And then um, the cross-referencing is easier to do once the body knows. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that you can have embodied uh, learning through many other uh, 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 practices than, uh, uh, you know, materially. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, uh, some of the courses that we um, interface the most, I would say sustainable systems, um, objects as history and drawing and imaging, because I feel that um, even though it doesn't necessarily happen naturally, but as a teacher, I think that one of the, the, the responsibilities that um, we have is to um, guide the students and facilitate that way of connecting like for example using sustainable materials and healthy materials safe materials in our uh, courses support what happens in in sustainable systems so one thing is not separated and isolated from the other yeah yeah it becomes like okay whatever you learn in sustainable system let's see how do we incorporate that into space and yeah. Materials and yeah vice versa I, I was always fascinated in the space materiality class, how like, for instance, a fashion design major might work with mechanical connections in a way that was totally different than somebody that was going into a different field. Like they would have a real, a real eye for, um, especially when it comes to sewing or buttonholes or clasps and latches that you might find in a belt. Um, and, um, uh, that that to me was always kind of really eye-opening from the perspective of learning from the students um and the way that the, the there was that that emphasis of like the priority of mechanical connections to me that always seemed like one area that was a nice crossover as well because a mechanical connection is important for somebody going making sculptures but it's also important for somebody going into product design or fashion design so it just seemed like one of those really simple connection points that allowed um, students to kind of branch out in their thinking in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, in that um, sense of the connections, um, something that came um, back to me when I started thinking in these terms of like making meaningful uh, associations. Um, when I was a student, I, I, I was taught, um, I learned about the human body a lot because we were heavy on the figure in my school. And I remember I took an anatomy class and the teacher, um, her name was Martha Erlbacher, rest in peace, she's gone. She was a great teacher. Um, she made these connections between say um, the body, like the skeleton, how the different joints of the body and she related them to other things like hinges would be kind of like a certain kind of like a uh, joints in mm. like um, the arm to, to, to the forearm, you know, mm. and say the lower leg to the upper leg had hinged. And then mm. there was a ball joint like in the hip and mm. in the shoulder. Mm. And, you know, so you would start kind of like making this very valuable connections and you see how nature, ultimately the body as a natural source of information, 
-hmm. inspires a lot of the ways in which we think and make. And um, these things have been lost in translation over the years. We mm -hmm. don't make those connections uh, as easily unless you go to a school and, and do what we do. Um, but I just find it fascinating when you can actually use the inspiration and mention the, 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 the source of form or function mm -hmm. that you're teaching associated with something in nature. It just becomes really uh, meaningful. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, too, that the, our body is, is almost the most immediate thing for us. And somehow it's the, almost the easiest thing to overlook as well, right? thinking about ourselves as, as a part of nature as opposed to being separate from nature and looking at all the the evolution and the design that's actually already in place uh, right within our own physical experience it's a it's a really interesting reference point right there the one fact that we have always been uh, uh, um, adamant at is to, to insist that we don't use glue except mm -hmm. for laminating Mm -hmm. um, and it really is interesting how it forces you to think outside of the box as students, especially because they need to try to figure a way of making a choice of what is the most appropriate connection to use uh, uh, among materials, even if you're doing a sketch or something. Um, I mean, a three-dimensional, uh, um, you know, sketch or um, so. Um, yeah, it, it really is a very great way to brainstorm and um, to have to really come up with solutions to, to things, creative solutions to, 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 to make those things come together. And um, I didn't understand it before I taught this course, how meaningful that was to have to come up with solutions for connecting uh, parts. Mm -hmm. And usually from that experience, a lot of really brilliant ideas come up and sometimes as a teacher i'm blown away with yes some of the things that students come up with yeah yeah and it's like uh the the invention that happens because there's a limitation put in place absolutely absolutely limitation is actually really really a really good thing to 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 have, I mean, I remember giving a lot of freedom sometimes was one of the worst things because people are like, what do I do? You know, like mm -hmm. they always want you to, to come and tell them what to do, what to do. And if you like it, do you like this? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. You know, so all those little conversations, get, it gets better when you limit because then it's like, you know, they have to work with this and that's all there is. And they can go easier to, to go and work with this limited amount of things yeah yeah, yeah I, I feel like that's a really important learning outcome that that also translates across different disciplines and whether or not they're going into any sort of creative discipline just that idea of being um resourceful with a limited range of uh, of options I, I feel like it's a really helpful um exercise um so we we touched on this a little bit um, and you had sort of framed, so one of the things I was interested to talk to you about was the way that you're present with your students. And then as we were talking a, a sort of a little bit before we got started here, 
um, you had, had mentioned that the projects that you've developed around the polyhedron forms um, sort of link nicely to that aspect of uh, being present in the classroom with your students. And then you started to talk briefly about kind of how you'll set up that demo and then the silence that will fall on the room and the, the intense focus that students will get and kind of the way that that becomes a really important element of kind of how you how you sort of work with the how you structure the class. Do you want to talk a, a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, um, that has become one of my uh, uh, biggest obsession, I would say, because um, I never realized that this was going to happen when I started creating these lessons. I knew that it did, did, did it to me as I was developing them. I remember I learned how to put everything together, except when I got to the dodecahedron and um, icosahedron, there were problems there that I couldn't really figure out. And it took me years to be able to come up with a solution. Uh, mostly not just the making of the objects three-dimensionally, but the representation of the objects in two dimensions. And I would look, look for examples uh, um, on books and, and on the web, and I would always be able to identify that the icosahedron and the dodecahedron were not illustrated properly, mm. according to what I understood um, Euclid was doing. Anyway, make it a long story short. This took me years to engage and to resolve. And when I resolved it, I was able to do a lesson that used to take me maybe three section, sessions of class into sometimes two and then one. And the students would learn, in, would learn it really fast. It was like, mm. as I learned it, as I uncovered it, then the teaching became easier and the students would learn it faster mm -hmm. I, it blew me away because i was like this took me so long and then it takes so little to the students to get it but i was mm -hmm. like maybe there is something uh, uh there's an osmosis yeah. of some sort that happens yeah. in between us because we're all engaged in this and then um i've heard um, this uh, uh theory that um there is something called the field uh consciousness or something Mm. Like, for example, when you see a school of fish or mm. Uh, mm. Uh, birds, and mm. they know to position each other in relationship to one another in such a way that they create these forms. Mm -hmm. And these forms are amazingly perfect and flawless and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, it's like, how do they know their place in, in this mm -hmm. context? And yeah. how do they know? It's like a knowledge is like an understanding that that there is embedded in their dna yeah, you know? yeah. and um uh, even the way that uh, birds make nests uh, uh, you know there is certain wisdom in nature that happens you have to tap on it you know like um i believe that the more connected we are with nature the more uh this kind of flows through us and unfortunately, the world that we have created, the very advanced, highly technological, have removed us a lot from that um, part of our humanity. Yeah, yeah. So I believe that part of this exercise of being present, me demonstrating, students following me, um, and engaging in this process, it's almost like a way of returning mm. to that very basic mm -hmm. place that we yeah. all come from. It's like the soul mm -hmm. of things. It's, mm -hmm. 
as you start looking for connections and you, as you start finding them, not looking so much, finding them uh, uh, around you, then you start uh, understanding that there's like these designs and these geometries that seem to repeat everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very, very uh, um, controversial thing. Some people say, no, this is definitely not true, you know. I believe, um, I remember there was a, a um, phrase that I actually have to apologize. I don't, mean, I don't remember who said it, but it was something like, uh, the map is not the territory, mm. which means that to me, I was like, you can come up with a pattern. Like for example, I can come up with a pattern of hexagons from these circles and come up mm -hmm. with it very beautiful. So I, I argue that like, well, beehives have a perfectly, uh, um, uh, a, a perfect uh, a geometry shape that comes from that way of connecting circles using a compass uh, on a, on a uh, triangle. Obviously the bees don't have those tools, but they know yeah. to make a beehive in which when you see it's like always, it's always, it looks like hexagons, but in second observation, it's always a circle surrounded by six. Oh, when you see it, it's always, 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 this is the way that it's, that it works. It is because the hexagon is the most efficient shape mm -hmm. in nature because it connects with the others in the most, you cannot have more than six sided shape tessellating this way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it is the most efficient way to connect with as many uh, 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 others of the same shape, mm -hmm. hexagons, mm -hmm. um, and leaving no space, you know, it's just really efficient. And it's like being proven, like I've even seen that they use this on um, uh, uh, solar panels. There is a, 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 I've seen a various places where they use the hexagon and they put this little hexagonal kind of like a, a solar panels and they, tessellate with each other and they mm -hmm. are very efficient, very easy to, 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 to cover uh, spaces with this because you just mm -hmm. add, you know, and mm -hmm. you can curve them and you can do all kinds of like things with them. Mm -hmm. If you look at the uh, microscopic view of the human skin, the epidermis, it also has this hexagonal mm -hmm. uh, uh, shapes that connect the cells of the, so it is the, hexa uh, uh, the hexagon, the six-sided, uh, uh, no, the, yes, hexagon. Uh, um, it is um, ever-present in, in nature. It's, a, and, it's, a, um, it's true, and, and it's amazing how um, nature is, is so effective at finding efficient solutions to things absolutely, like that. Absolutely. So, I mean, these are things that I always find uh, um, inspiring. And when students have, uh, I give them a, a projects of like finding examples of, of the hex, hexagon in, in, in nature or like geometry in nature. And like, it opens up a lot. Students start to seeing, to see these relationships. And, you know, it's very eye-opening and inspiring. And most of the time, uh, uh, students are moved by this and, and excited and inspired. One thing that I that I noticed from the, your delivery um, 
at, at Parsons and I, and I sort of felt fortunate in the making center because of the way that that format was set up where you'd have multiple classes happening in one, in one space, you'd be sort of teaching your class down at the end and another person could be teaching their class at the, at the far other end. And it was just a, a kind of a really cool way to get like a, a brief insight into the way a class was structured. And, and one thing that really stood out to me was the way you had a really calm and, and um, uh, sort of, uh, persistent delivery with the students where it was just like, we're going to slow down now. This is a demo. I'm not rushing my way through it. I'm actually going to slow down and I'm going to focus the students, not because I'm throwing a lot of information at them and they not they need to um, focus on it all. Otherwise, they're going to be lost. It's like, you're going to just slow everything down. And then that would just sort of set them off into this like magical space of, of making. I, I would add to that that... Um... I believe that not just me, but many of us, as we went through these transitions and uh, started to, to evaluate and um, at what we did and how it fits in the whole uh, um, scheme of things, uh, the curriculum of the school. Um, like I said, it became more evident that we were less about like the, the object that we the students produce and much more about the process mm. and the meaning of it and importance mm -hmm. of it. Um, but um, I, I believe that um, this idea of slowing became really, really clear that that was one of the biggest uh, outcomes that we uh, uh, could aspire to. Mm. And like I felt, and I was under the impression that students just wanted to work and dive into the technology as soon as possible. I felt like we need to learn more programs we need to learn more but then i was so surprised as i started like uh, getting more immersed into this process of learning how to um, understand students and the culture of the students and their generation they are just so excited when they can work with their hands mm -hmm. they just love it in a way that i was like oh so they were like we have so much technology in other classes that we just mm -hmm. are excited to come here and get dirty mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, so that's awesome. So mm -hmm. then I was like, okay, so the real importance of this experience, given the fact that they might most likely not have to do many of these things again after they mm -hmm. take those courses. Mm -hmm. But like I said with the bicycle earlier, you learn how to ride the bicycle and that embodied um, knowledge is there for you mm -hmm. when you need it. So I feel that slowing down and learning to slow down and learning to smell the flowers and learning to look at things anew it's something that you can only do with this studio practice and getting involved in this culture mm. because if you have grown up in the last 20 years um, you probably haven't had that uh, experience as much as say I did maybe you I mean you're much younger than me but like um, maybe in your experience you also might have gone through a, 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 an education and an experience of being more uh, 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 immersed in that material practice even growing up even doing things in play and stuff like that mm -hmm. but the new generation in my mind they just have been so um engage in the technology and there, this sense of like you find something and you download it mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and you get it. It's like in, it's an immediate gratification mm-hmm. versus this practice and engagement and time. So I believe that slowing down, it's the way in which these uh, exercises and these courses bring the student to this place mm-hmm. where they become connected to that part of being a human a, a mm-hmm. flesh yeah or organic yep. you know because you need to remember that i mean ultimately we're not going to be downloading in a computer and live forever we are humans we die yeah. Yeah. we get old we breathe you know so mm-hmm. it makes you connect better with nature yep. by these practices Mm-hmm. and that it's, i think is, is a priceless kind of like aspect of, of this yeah i i and I, I i totally agree and and one thing that sort of um surprises me continually is that i think the students um would never expect to come across that in a in a college class right like it's almost like it, it hits them by surprise like because they have got five other classes, they've got a part-time job, they've got a sports team that they're involved in, and there's their 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 brains are so full of information, just trying to make it through the week and the, through the semester, that that slowing down is such a radical um, change of pace for them that it's almost like it heightens the importance of that too. And they love it. Yeah, I noticed something. Um, uh, interesting um, now that I'm teaching at St. Joseph's University where there's uh, a lot of student athletes and talking about this idea of embodied knowledge um, when I'm teaching process making processes related to say for example like woodworking like using a hand drill or the miter saw or the band saw things like that students that have never um, worked with their hands before but they have a, um, a background in some sort of athletic endeavor will pick up those making processes so quickly because they've got that sort of embodied knowledge of their own their own physical sense of themselves in space in a way that's sort of heightened um and so it's just been really interesting to see that that connection come through that's very interesting yeah it that that was something that caught me off um by surprise a little bit so we talked about the uh the creative process um a a bit and one of the other things that kind of stood out to me do you want to talk a little bit about how you encourage students to sort of document their process because there's something about that that i feel like helps to really elevate um the value of the process and take it away from the the primacy of the finished product in a way that you sort of mentioned a bit before i am uh, to be very honest this uh process um, um the trial and error it's one of those things that students um, probably don't grasp as easily because they are always so focused in making it perfect or making it right or you know making it look good um, that they don't even want to show you uh, their their uh, failures. Mm-hmm. And I always insist, and I have to be repeat. You know, I have to emphasize this over and over and over. Like when I am looking at students individually and they will tell me, oh, um, I, I don't know how to do it or I tried and it didn't work. And I was like, well, show me, show me what you did. Or like, oh, I, did, I, I threw it away. Or like, I said, well, you should take a picture, document your process because there is so much learning that goes on when you make a mistake mm-hmm. or when it doesn't work, you know? And that is as important and sometimes even more 
uh, than the final product. As a, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, I have seen projects that the process has been greater and more informative to me as a teacher of the student than um, the final product. Um, and sometimes students miss something that they did in the process that they forgot, forgot or they discarded and didn't consider important. So I, I try to instill in them this understanding of the importance of iteration, the importance of trial and error, mm -hmm. just the importance, but the, the, the fact that it is just expected that it will happen. Mm -hmm. And um, I do have to admit that that has been one of the biggest challenges as, as simple as it seems, is one of those things that I have to repeat over and over and over mm. and over because they don't seem to believe it. It has, it has to become something that you actually assign. It's like you have to ass assign them. It's like you have to post everything. Sometimes I, I show them my tables. Like, you see the mess that I have here? Mm -hmm. That's important. I want to document that because I see what are the tools that I'm using? What are the materials that I'm using? How am I organizing? I was like, you might look at this in years and find so much uh, value mm -hmm. on those documents uh, um, of your process that you might actually learn something uh, in the future that you're not learning right now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I just try to find the most creative ways to, to, to um, teach the students um, the importance of, of this documentation of their process. Yeah, and, and that idea of, and maybe it's a, the influence of social media where um, it, it's not difficult to get students to document the finished product. But thinking about all those steps along the way, sometimes that, that's a really different, a different framework for them, I found. Absolutely. I really want to thank you for, um, for taking time to have this conversation. Oh, my pleasure. It's been a real pleasure.